Imagine walking into your new job and the first thing your iconic new bosses ask you to do is lock yourself into a room with a xylophone for an hour. Well, this was the way of thinking with the Eames. And if you aren't familiar with the Eames, let us fill you in. My name is Madeline. And I'm Willetta. And you're listening to Design And. As designers, me and Madeline have had our fair share of feeling like we have to fit inside of a certain box. And what's so interesting about me and Willetta taking these artists on is the fact that we're both designers, but not so aligned with one genre of design. Before entering into the graphic design department, I was actually in the architecture department for two years or so. Then I moved over to the graphic design, and now I plan to graduate as a double major of graphic design and architecture with a concentration in furniture design. And for me, I spend most of my time outside of class doing various videography jobs, but also consider myself a graphic designer and what I'll most likely end up doing as a career. This is why we chose the Eames. Both of us being designers in general and not so specific to a certain aspect, we can easily relate to the Eames while also being able to highlight all aspects of their career. Before the Eames were the Eames, there was Charles. Charles studied architecture at Washington University in St. Louis on a design scholarship. After two years of study, he was removed from the university due to low academic efforts, but high interest in his outside work. What was this outside work, Willetta? Now, at the time, Charles was mentored by Frank Lloyd Wright. You may be familiar with Wright, but just to give a little backstory, (laughs) y'all, this man was a founding father in architectural modernity. He designed the Roby House in Chicago, the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, and most notably Falling Water, which, despite its beauty, is still one of the most controversial builds to this day. It's such an integral piece of design history that can help us understand why so many young architects like Charles found experimental works like that so dazzling. Inspired and guided by Wright, Charles devoted most of his time in real-life exploration of his desired field rather than his academics, and as a result, his interest in modern architecture overrode his need for classical education. Later in his career, Charles arrived at the Cranbrook Academy of Art on an industrial design fellowship, but soon became an instructor. This is where Ray enters our picture. Ray was currently attending the Cranbrook Academy of Art. Ray enrolled in various courses to expand upon her previous education in abstract painting in New York under the guidance of Hans Hoffman. Charles later decided to enter into a furniture competition with his best friend, Eero Saarinen, hosted by the Museum of Modern Art. Eames and Saarinen's goal was to mold a single piece of plywood into a chair. This is actually where their later success between Charles and Ray became the organic chair was born. While entering into the competition, Charles found himself in need of a graphic designer. And who did he find, Madeline? Miss Ray Kaiser. And embarrassing enough, this is when the couple's affair began. <laughs> Charles at the time was married to Catherine Warman. The two shared a young daughter and had been married for 12 years. But then, coincidentally, they divorced in 1941. Really? Yeah. yeah. And not long after the divorce, um, another coincidence, um, the iconic couple, Ray and Charles, married that same exact year. But this is when the iconic Eames began. And it really did begin as this way. It felt as if it was Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> they drove, I'm serious, they drove all the way to their, uh, to, 
what what was it Los Angeles and along the way they would just like pick up little things like um tumbleweeds and random rocks and things uh-huh. and they would have it inside of their house like when they finally built yeah. it and everything and that's the stuff that's hanging from the ceiling oh. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Bonnie and Clyde. No, I was like serious. oh they're artists <laughs> before we dive into their diverse pieces of work between videography abstract art graphic design, and obviously architecture and furniture design, let's talk about their astonishing dynamic. To encapture this, let's talk about their motorcycle shoot. Madeline? So the two were doing a shoot for a magazine later, like mid-career. The photographer originally wanted Charles to be the one driving the motorcycle. They were posed on. Charles refused and asked if Ray could be the one driving. The photographer was confused, making some jokes about how Charles is the man in the relationship and he needs to lead this relationship. So this is what she wanted. Once again, Charles refused and requested that Ray be the one up front and driving. And the resulting picture was pretty iconic. Um, If you look up Ray and Charles Eames today, one of the first things you're going to find is is that picture of Ray leading the motorcycle. And it was just so interesting at the time because it wasn't this male-led relationship that was so traditional. Um, And it really showed how they worked. And he even later commented on how Ray was a big part uh, in the thought process or even the brains of their designs, saying that just because she is the woman does not mean that she just sits behind a desk and lets her husband lead the way. If anything, Ray leads him in their duo. Charles and Ray's most known works is by far their furniture. The plywood lounge chair is one of the Eames' most memorable and expensive furniture designs to this day. And from their designs, a more streamlined way of manufacturing was created. The chair was designed using technology for molding plywood that the Eames developed themselves for these works that demanded so much physical tension to shape the plywood. Before American involvement in the war, Charles Eames and his friend, architect Euro, who we discussed earlier when we were talking about how Charles met Ray, uh, the two entered entered the group Organic Design and Home Furnishing Competition into the Museum of Modern Arts in 1940. This contest was mainly exploring the natural evolution of furniture in response to the rapidly changing world. The entries they submitted into the competition were designed with the seat and backrest joined together by this thing they described as a single shell. The only issue was the plywood, which was prone to crack when bent into these curves demanded by the design. And originally, which is something I never knew, um, the competition entries were covered with upholstery. Um, They did this to hide the cracks that were being caused by the plywood. And from what I've read, they took this really hard. The Eames and Euro saw this as like a massive fail, which blows my mind because we're like, well, I'll get into my spell later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's wait on your rant. (laughs) So... Through extensive trial and error, Charles and Ray arrived at their solution. Create two separate pieces for the seat and backrest, joined by a plywood spine and supported by plywood legs. The result was a chair with the, like this like super sleek and honest appearance. All of the connections were visible. You could see where the legs met the bottom of the seat. Not a single piece of material was hidden beneath the upholstery. And that in and of itself should showcase just how badass and wild these two (laughs) were for their time. Because not only were they making up endless problems for themselves, but they were solving every single last one of them back (laughs) to back. And I get so upset about it because, like, this isn't acknowledged enough just how, like, just 
gangster these people were. <laughs> and now I can have my little TED talk about the Eames. Uh, <laughs> so number one, with this work coming out at the age it did, where the design of furniture was like super heavy and super complex and made up of multiple materials and then topped with tons of upholstery. The Eames design was so striking because of how simple and and complex without necessarily being complex it was and okay so here's main point of my rant um one of my biggest frustrations about being an Eames like super fan which like my close friends like know that I like love the Eames um is whenever I go to like describe the Eames and their chairs like I can literally see in people's faces like oh cool they make chairs and like, no, pretty much 80% of our chairs we see and like a, on a daily basis were all originated from the modeled plywood chair or other chairs that the Eames like created. And I don't think people really grasp onto this like at all. They definitely yeah. don't. No, no. And I'm, I'm not trying to make this chair seem like their best work, but I think the most beautiful thing about it is that it was so impactful. Like what may seem so minute, like the design of a chair was so important in the grand scheme of their design process like the impact this couple left on the design of chairs from creating a whole new style to even engineering machinery to create this project like Willetta was talking about is like mind-blowing legendary everything all of the above <laughs> and I think that's what all designers are like truly striving for is to make an impact in their community and leave like this imprint on design as a whole like to this day not even just in chairs, we can still see the impact of these designers and how they changed the whole game. Later in their career, they got more involved in different types of building rather than just furniture. The two were issued after their experience with plywood to create a splint design with plywood. With the war taking place and the current metal splint causing even more issues for the patients, the two took this dilemma on. Charles and Ray immediately started experimenting with ways to address it. And, you know, by, like, 1943, the Eameses had made their first modeled plywood splint. The splint conformed to the human leg, offering ideal support through its natural form. In fact, to make the splint, they designed using Charles's like, actual leg as the model. And apparently this was, like, really painful to him because whenever they were doing it, it was literally ripping off, like, all of his leg hair. Oh, my God. Um, and after they finalized their design, um, it was estimated that by the end of World War II that uh, 150... Yeah, 150,000 splints were made and used during this time. That's pretty impressive, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and very impactful, if you must. <laughs> this is also how they devised the plans for their home, case study number eight. Originally, the plans of the Eames' home, also known as the Bridge House, was designed in 1945 by Charles Eames and Ira Saarinen. Although there, these plans were made in 1945, the steel and other materials ordered for the build were not delivered until 1948 due to wartime shortages. Thankfully, by that time as well, Charles and Ray fell in love with the natural beauty of the, sh of the meadow, just as it was in its untouched form that they decided on a different approach so as not to harm the original landscape. <laughs> now we could go on about the structure, the landscaping, or even the similarities uh, and tributes to the works of like Mies van der Rohe and Philip Johnson. Yeah. But what I want y'all to understand is that this was never just a build. Like this wasn't just like a building to the Eames. Yeah. 
It was it, it wasn't even just a home. <laughs> it was their playground. Charles <laughs> said that the house would make no demands for itself and would serve as a background for life and work with nature as a shock absorber. And sure, they had their offices, sure, they had their employees, but this space was meant to be more than that. It offered these two designers a space where work, play, life, and nature all coexisted into this one small little place in this little <laughs> modular home. But everything about it was just so perfect for them and how they yeah. felt, like, just and I feel like Yeah, things. I feel like that was, like, always what they were looking for. I think architecture or architects now like focus so much on the aesthetics and for them like it was aesthetically pleasing because of how different it was but also how you could like actually look at it and be like oh that's like that's themes and like how you were talking about way earlier when you were like they would pick up tumbleweeds and they would pick up random stuff and they would put it in their house it like described them to a T. It was interactive. Yeah, 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 no, no, exactly. And one of my favorite parts, and like I always tell people this too, is like Ray, she didn't hang her her paintings on the wall or her pictures on the wall. They hung from the ceiling. Like she literally had like cords holding these like paintings to the ceiling. So whenever you looked up, it was like you were looking at like an art gallery wall, which I, I think. just imagine <laughs> this woman like doing this herself. Like Charles is out doing something. She's like, I don't feel like quite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And so with this design, the two process similar architectural works. And I think after this, they definitely looked more at houses as something that they enjoyed making. Um, and one house that you can see this in the most was the mayor's house. Uh, I think they designed it 1938. It was like it was designed and started building in mm -hmm. 1936. Yeah. But then they finally finished yeah, yeah, in yeah. 1938. And so the two, my favorite thing about this house is the two went so far to in the brick, they like etched out like music notes and like to their favorite songs. And I think this just like emphasizes on their creativity and their out of box thinking. Like it was just so extreme and interesting. And again, like at the time was so different from what everyone else was doing and also just put the like art aspect back into architecture. And even though their expertise was designing this home aspect in a different way, they also designed exhibits and museum pieces. Like, we saw this mainly in the IBM co in collaboration, and one of the most eye-catching and memorable pieces from this work was the IBM Pavilion for New York's World Fair. Forty pavilions spread over 646 acres <laughs> of land. Do y'all know how much land <laughs> that is? It served as a showcase for American companies, including IBM, General Electric, DuPont, and Ford. This extravaganza's theme was man's achievement on a striking globe in an expanding universe. And that <laughs> in and of itself should show the amount of ego that was in the room making these things. <laughs> and, like, which entertained and informed, like, 50 million attendees. Yeah. So this is also where their um, film Think debuted. So Think was projected onto a ton of screens, uh, demonstrating both humor and exciting action. Uh, the film emphasized that a computer can help solve problems of like any scale, including seating at a dinner party, city planning, weather prediction, and even like coaching football. Another film by the Eames that honestly may be the one that is like still most used today uh, would be the powers of 10. So me and Willetta have both taken astronomy, which I'm still taking currently. Yeah. And even in our teacher's curriculum today, he is still referring to this video. 
So the video illustrated two powers of 10 with a hundredfold increase. So it starts off on a picnic with these, with this couple and it takes it back and the journey goes all the way back to basically our galaxy and then returns back to the picnic, returning even farther into the microstructure of the carbon atoms in the human body. And what's so monumental about this piece was the timing and the audience this piece came out to. This was one of the first time that like civilians had ever seen outer space at this magnitude and so like nonchalantly like it wasn't like oh nasa has come out with this new research or anything like that it was like no these designers were just like hey let's play around with the powers of 10 and go like literally out of this world and again like what i was saying before they were literally changing the game constantly in every aspect every aspect <laughs> now after all that architecture and science <laughs> and math Let's send out some graphic design, <laughs> a little bit of cutesy, you know, little bits and pieces of their lives here. Although Ray was known as the main graphic designer with her more specific art background rather than Charles's architectural background, we actually found some of Charles's work as well. Although more of like illustrational work, Charles would send out these Christmas cards every year to his loved ones, and they were actually not that bad. <laughs> they were mostly loose and sketchy designs, and we can easily see his architectural side of him peek throughout like all of these little like little <laughs> doodles that he made. Many of the cards were lithographs with a touch of hand coloring, and they featured everything from churches and dogs to inviting-looking homes, which I think really grasped how he felt about the holidays as a like a homey feeling. Yeah, you know, no, and even like with Ray. Um, in the office with her direction, they illustrated multiple aspects of graphic design. And although we may not be able to like fully elaborate on the setting of their office and how it worked, the workspace was super flexible and all encompassing. And this itself allowed the staff to cover all aspects of design, which I mean, the couple did as well, but, and so this meant that in-house they were including graphic design as well. One crucial component of the office's commissions were graphics for advertisements, exhibitions, films, and sales displays, mostly for their own projects, which at the time, if they were wanting to advertise, making graphics were a part of the deal. And let me add, all of these graphics were created before computers and Photoshop, <laughs> so we know that it was real. We could not hide this underneath a layer. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> One repeating piece of work produced was the arts and architecture magazine covers. And these covers were, like, so sick. Most of these covers had some type of abstract illustration accompanied to the same title and typeface. We can easily see Ray's abstract painting education shine through here, creating graphics that were so unlike others at the time. Most of the cover designs highlighted her interest in collage and her tendency to interweave biomorphic forms with splashes of color. Her later designs involved like they they involved like evolved into this imagery that was like quite geometric and photographic at the yeah. same time. And I just really I don't know. I could I could talk about this for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and these, if I'm like, if I'm being honest, these may not have read like today is super legible or comprehensible, but still gave this attention drawing aspect. My by far favorite part about these were how easily you could see that she was enjoying her work. She was doing what she loved with these instead of following this norm of advertising, which I mean, can be inspiring to like all of us, even to relate to what Jake was talking about in class, 
keep making the work that you want to be asked to make. And I think this is so inspiring, especially in her aspect, because it was like at that point she had already gained her fame. Her and Charles were, you know, on top of the world. But at this point she was like truly having fun with what she was doing and more people were seeing that and were, were, were taking that as like, oh, we could do something like that. And all it was doing was, was causing her to create more things that she was inspired by. Energy recognizes energy. So <laughs> like it's it's how people get inspired. It's yeah. why people have mentors. Like if you see this and you're like, oh my god, this is just inspired. Like I see this and I'm like, you know what would be wild yeah. if I did something like this? Yeah, that is the exactly. Whole point and that's how it. that's how they were literally changing the game at the same aspect. Like, oh, what if we molded plywood? You know, like just like things that like people weren't thinking at the time that's how things evolve and that's how they literally again change the game <laughs> the office of the eames was created over 60 works throughout its lifetime spanning across works of art architecture our communication films furniture textiles <laughs> toys and everything else in between demanding and encouraging its designers to think farther outside of the realm of any rectangle someone might try to come around and put them in. Yeah. It was raw imagination and experimentation at its finest. Yeah, and, and one thing that I remember from the documentary that they said was that the Eames, like, they did not look at, I'm an architecture, I'm a graphic designer, I'm a videographer, as a job title. They truly saw it as the way of, a, a different way of seeing the world. And I think that supports our notion that we aren't pinned down to a certain aspect of design rather than just being designers in all aspects. But sadly, after many years of his hard work and genius tributes to all design, Charles Eames died of a heart attack on August 21st, 1978, while on a consulting trip in his hometown, St. Louis. Now, I'm sure many people were concerned about the credibility and types of work that would be made after Charles's death. But what surprised outsiders is that Ray continued their final works to completion and continued to take on clients afterwards. I think it was then that people, like, you know, the outsiders, like, outside the firm, outside of their friend group and everything, finally started to realize that Ray wasn't just there to be Charles's helpmate. Yeah. She was, like, she was there to be her own person. She was a true partner in the firm and a master designer in her own right. Yeah. And sadly enough, 10 years later, which I think is super interesting. I think a lot of people think it's not like cool that, but you know what I mean? I think it's creepy yeah. or maybe serendipity, <laughs> but. Yeah, she <laughs> died on the exact same day that Charles did, August 21st. But 10 years later, uh, sadly, she uh, lost her battle to cancer. And after the two's death, the office was sold, which single teardrop just breaks my heart. And now, if you're wondering, it is LA chiropractic office, which is like. I mean, you work on buildings for so long, maybe you just need to, you know, <laughs> take a step back and <laughs> go to the chiropractor. chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But I think with, with going over all of this and, like, truly, I mean, hell, we didn't even really get to, like, harp on half of the stuff they did, which is insane. But I think all of this just shows how 
impactful, and I know I've said that a bajillion times during this, but how impactful they were and how they just never stopped creating the insane. Like, they, the, I swear, like, Charles was, like, in bed at night, and he looks at Ray, and he was like, do you want to make some crazy shit tomorrow? <laughs> like, literally, like, I mean, everything was so new and, and so innovative. And to relate back to, like, the documentary, I know we haven't really, t- like, we've touched on it, but, like, yeah. we haven't, like, talked directly about it. There was, like, one of the things that Ray was saying about it in there about her design process. She was saying that, like, I don't stop to think whether I can or not. I just go as far as I can. And, like, the end of the quote is, like, if I can't, then I can't. But as long as I can, I will. Yeah, basically, like, don't try and stop me. Like, I'm going. Exactly. And I think I think that was their whole aspect. I mean, just, just not fitting into this norm. And I think that's the one thing we can take from this is just – not fitting into a box, not fitting into the norm, just like not trying to be cliche cliche or about being like be yourself, but inspire yourself, inspire your own work and just keep growing off of that. I think it's honestly one of the best things that we can do as mm-hmm. designers. Thank you for listening to our podcast of design and we have welcomed and we have appreciated everyone that decided to take the time and listen to this.